scripture reading for today is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot on the tramping warrior in battle is malt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's word. Thanks so much, Laura. Hello, if I haven't met you yet, I am Georgia, and I'm a deacon and staff member here at Citizens. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Um, Let me just pray for us before we begin. God, we are glad that you have brought us here this morning. However, we arrived, whatever it looked like for us, getting ready to come, um, wherever our minds are and our hearts are and however our bodies are feeling. We trust that you have been preparing us, um, even subconsciously, to be here with you and with each other. And so we ask that you would help us be attentive this morning um, to how you're moving and to what you have to communicate to us. In Jesus' name, amen. To me, the first few days after Thanksgiving, but before December 1st, are just a funny time of year. Some people are diving headfirst into the Christmas music and mugs and mantle decorations. Maybe they've even had them up since November 1st. And then there are other kind of purists who are just really upset that the grocery stores are already blasting Mariah Carey music. And then there are those of us uh, who are just still recovering from Thanksgiving feasting are feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the looming um, pieces of the Christmas season, the parties and the presents and just the rigmarole of December, and are wondering how to engage with the next few days and weeks at a pace that just feels reasonable. Wherever you find yourself today, I'm glad you're here. Today's sermon time will be mostly a teaching, but We'll pause for a couple of discussion questions along the way. So let's begin with two questions. Take a second to reflect and then feel free to share aloud. Was there a Christmas gift that you longed for as a child? And how did the waiting feel? Feel free to just call it out. Legos. Legos, love it. I wanted a glow worm. How did it feel to wait for that glow worm? Forever. <laughs> Felt like forever. I wanted a play kitchen, but I got a beauty salon. <laughs> Jude? A pedal bike. A pedal bike. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh. Well, waiting is so hard. Um, we know this as kids, and we know this as adults, too. Throughout our lives, we all encounter pretty personal and pretty vulnerable seasons and experiences of waiting. An arduous job search that leads us to question our value and worth. The longing for deep friendships or a spouse. The desire for children amidst fertility challenges. And we have a collective waiting. Every day, through taking a walk through the city or just reading the headlines of the news, we have opportunities to see and acknowledge suffering, oppression, and violence in our communities and world. Homelessness, racism, displacement, ethnic cleansing, poverty, invasions. These aren't just other people's problems. We're contributors too. We have blood on our hands. And this can all feel so overwhelming. The passage that Laura read for us earlier was from the book of Isaiah. This Old Testament prophet himself bore witness to many instances of oppression, evil, and suffering. Hear what Isaiah writes in chapter 59. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. In Isaiah's day, in our day, injustice and suffering and hopelessness seem to be so interwoven into the fabric of our lives and our human experience. How are we to survive and press on? The opportunities for discouragement, for despair, for distancing from pain are all around us. Take a moment to notice what feels dark in the world. What feels hopeless? And you can just call out a word or a phrase. And then take a moment to think about what are you longing for in the world? What are you longing for in the world? We all cope with pain and with suffering and with despair in different ways. Whether it's something you're glad you run to or something you maybe wish you didn't turn to, if you're comfortable sharing, um, just reflect on and then feel free to call out. What do you do to cope with pain and suffering? Hmm. 
While coping mechanisms are necessary for all of us, they're a somewhat required part of being human. For the past few weeks, folks who volunteer with Tuesday Pancake Breakfast with unhoused neighbors in Golden Gate Park have been participating in a good neighboring cohort, um, which was created and led by John Stiefel as a way to help equip folks to be more helpful and compassionate neighbors. And in the cohort, we've learned about coping mechanisms that impact resiliency, both adaptive coping and maladaptive coping. Coping mechanisms are conscious or subconscious thoughts or behaviors used to manage stressful conditions or associated emotional distress. Maladaptive coping may provide some relief in the short term, but often causes harm in the long term. Adaptive coping mechanisms are effective if they bring short-term and long-term relief, helping to change your circumstances and or helping adjust your emotional response to stress. Throughout time, it seems that God has given his people a sort of adaptive coping mechanisms, tools and rhythms to build resiliency, to help people endure the harsh and awful realities of being human creatures. For the Hebrew people, these tools and rhythms included commemorating holy days and seasons accompanied by fasting and feasting practices. And though the disciplines were significant in and of themselves, most importantly, they pointed people back to God as reminders of God's presence in hard times and God's goodness in plentiful times. These rhythms equipped people for experiencing God's comfort and power in the short term and for holding on to God's hope in the long term. And so in our present age, we have not only spiritual practices of reading scripture, fasting, communion with the church, but also seasons and rhythms. You may or may not be familiar with the historic church calendar, but it actually doesn't begin January 1st. Instead, it begins next Sunday with the first week of Advent. It ebbs and flows as we remember the natural seasons of sowing and reaping and Christ's life and the life of the people of God, full of mysteries of birth and growth, death and resurrection. In the calendar of the year, we move from Advent longing to Christmas time joy, from Epiphany wonder to Lenten fasting, from Easter feasting to ordinary time waiting and working, and then back again to Advent. So what is Advent? Christians began participating in the season of Advent during the 4th and 5th centuries. And as we engage Advent, we join centuries of faithful saints who have gone before us. Advent means coming or arrival. It's a remembering of the Hebrew people's longing for a Messiah before Jesus' birth, recalling the waiting and the yearning before his first advent. And it's a reminder of our anticipation of Christ's return, his second advent, when he will make all things new and right all wrongs. In Advent, we recognize the fraught tension of the already of the first coming of God and the not yet of the redemption that has yet to come, And that will only fully take place once Jesus returns. As we reflected earlier, waiting can be so difficult. 
It can lead to restlessness, anxiety, avoidance, despair. But hear this description of waiting, a compelling vision of the distinctions of Advent waiting from the Book of Common Prayer. Advent waiting is not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. As any expectant mother knows, this waiting often involves preparation, exercise, nutrition, care, prayer, work. And birth involves pain, blood, tears, joy, release, community. It is called labor for a reason. Likewise, we are in a world pregnant with hope, and we live in the expectation of the coming of God's kingdom on earth. As we wait, we also work, cry, pray, ache. We are the midwives of another world. So this is our Advent invitation. As we identify with God's people longing for Jesus' first Advent and are honest about our own needs for Christ's return and the restoration he'll bring, we enter into a time of tension, of feeling stretched, a time of preparation, of making room for the coming of Christ. So as we reflect on practices, a a sort of coping that builds our spiritual resiliency and thus our whole self-resiliency, I invite you to consider this question and you can share your thoughts if you feel comfortable. What have been spiritual practices in the midst of waiting that have helped to sustain your faith through difficult seasons? Our main scripture reading today is from Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. And it's a passage that is often read during the Advent and Christmas seasons. Let me read it for us again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What is Isaiah trying to communicate here about who God is, what God is like, and what God promises? It seems that the God described here is a very active God. In fact, most of the verbs describe God as the subject. The activity is almost all God's doing. Multiplying a nation, increasing joy, delivering people from oppression, turning war to peace, 
turning darkness into light, giving a son, establishing a kingdom of justice and righteousness. In fact, the passage ends with this striking phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the most important thing that God does is promise a savior and fulfill that promise. We hear from Isaiah that this savior not only brings about a new type of world with specific values and culture and characteristics, but this savior named Jesus himself embodies the virtues of his kingdom through his character. His kingdom is full of justice and righteousness because he himself is just and righteous. The character of Jesus the Savior is so significant that Isaiah gives us four striking phrases to describe him. As God takes on flesh, these four names help expand our imagination of who Jesus is. They develop the reality of God with us. Wonderful counselor, a being full of wonder and mystery, but near enough to give wise counsel and offer honest hope. Mighty God, the all-knowing, all-powerful creator, entering the world as a vulnerable infant. Everlasting Father, a protector dad, whose love is consistent, permanent, attentive, and present. Prince of Peace, the one who not only dissolves war, but reigns in goodness without exploitation and authority that brings wholeness and flourishing for all. But maybe the talk of a future kingdom of justice and wholeness and a savior that is full of peace and fatherly love seems like a cute ending to a fairy tale for you. It feels purely fictional. Or maybe you want to believe all of this could be true, but it feels really, really far away. Maybe the hardships of now, the suffering all around, makes it hard to have capacity for hope or imagination. Something that's interesting about the book of Isaiah is that passages of hopefulness and passages describing suffering and injustice ebb and flow throughout the book. They aren't neatly linear. They're troughs and high points over and over. Today's main passage, where we hear about the goodness of God and the character and kingdom of Christ, is only in chapter 9. And the passage we read about justice being far away, about evil and violence and walking in darkness, is from chapter 59, so much later in the book of Isaiah. So it seems there is an invitation to hold attention, to simultaneously acknowledge that things are hard now, that good is coming, and that hard things will come our way again. The culture around us can often say, well, we can't have hope because things aren't going in a good direction, which is understandable, But Isaiah is urging us to not let that sort of linear logic drive us to despair. The truth is, there probably, almost definitely, is more hardship coming our way. And 
we can ask God to help us believe what is also true, that there is goodness, salvation, and peace coming our way too. Yes, in the Savior's future kingdom, but not just in heaven. Available to us here and now too, goodness, salvation, and peace embodied in the person of Jesus. What does this tension holding look like, knowing that we're headed into both goodness and hardship? Throughout scripture, we see examples of God's people who are on the brink of despair, who feel like God may have abandoned them. Asaph, one of King David's chief musicians and worship leaders, is experiencing significant distress and writes this in Psalm 77. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? But then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. In a commentary on Isaiah, Alec Maltier shares, As always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Are they to look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the dream shattered, and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to remember his present promises, and to make great affirmations of faith? Isaiah insists that hope is a present reality, part of the constitution of now. The darkness is true, but it is not the whole truth, and certainly not the fundamental truth. Jesus' birth was real. It really happened. It brought light to the darkness and good news of salvation to people on the brink of despair. And Jesus is returning. His kingdom is both partially here now and more fully coming. Advent is an invitation to hold tension when these truths don't feel true a season of lamenting the ways that God seems distant and recalling his character and promise and presence. Advent is an opportunity to lean into longing and the uncomfortable emotions that come with waiting. But as we wait, our practicing of Advent isn't just an adaptive coping mechanism to help us feel better in the present or try to problem solve for the future. Engaging Advent is a holistic submission to Jesus as Lord and Savior and King, a plea for faith beyond our mustering, a cry for hopefulness beyond what would make logical sense. As we close, I want to invite us to be honest with the reality that many of us have a difficult time trusting that God will do what he promises. We can struggle to feel like the Savior's future coming or 
Even his first advent as a baby long ago is truly good news. Earlier, as we read the four names for Jesus, you may have noticed that these four titles that Isaiah gives us don't just describe Christ's attributes. They also prompt implications for us. They reveal aspects of our identity as human creatures. So as I read these names of Jesus again, I invite you to close your eyes and notice which one your soul and heart and mind and whole self most longs for and maybe simultaneously most struggles to receive. So I invite you to close your eyes and listen. We need a wonderful counselor because we are unable to cope with our turbulent, violent, and complex world on our own. We're anxious and angsty. We need a being who is greater than just a fellow human to listen to us, to comfort us, to give wisdom. We need a mighty God because we do not have enough power or knowledge or technology or solutions to save ourselves. Only he knows what is best for us. We need his strong salvation, his past, present, future knowledge, and his active presence. We need an everlasting father because we are familial creatures who have been displaced, whose earthly families are imperfect and impermanent. We need his steady provision his loving correction, and his attentive care. We need the assurance that he will never leave. We need a prince of peace because invading troops, innocent bloodshed, and injustice and evil are constant aspects of our broken world in every era in history. Anarchy won't work, nor will dictatorship. We need an authority who is good, who is trustworthy. We need this King Jesus who creates an empire, but without imperialism, who rules, but without exploitation. We need his perfection and wholeness to saturate and save us as individuals, as neighborhoods, as cities, as a world. You can open your eyes. Take a moment to recall which of the four names stood out to you the most. This Advent, would you allow Jesus to help you receive him in this way in particular? Later today, share with a close friend or a family member and ask them to pray for you. Together, we are crying to Jesus to show us how his character and power and presence really are good news. So that when we look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the pain and suffering, we don't have to conclude that God has forgotten us. We can recall that the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, 
took on flesh to be God with us. He died for our sin and was resurrected. And this Jesus is with us and for us even now as we wait. He's teaching us how to long suffer and endure pain, how to walk in his ways of love, how to cultivate hope. And one day, he will return to fully establish his good and beautiful kingdom that will last forever. Let me pray for us. Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. We are so grateful that you decided that it was in our best interest to come, to take on flesh, to be in a womb, to be born, and to be a human who was a child, a teenager, who lived and breathed among other humans, and who eventually died and rose, all to fulfill your purposes and your plan for us to know you, for us to experience you as Emmanuel, as God with us. We ask that of these names that Isaiah gives us, of these attributes of your character and of your behavior, that you would impress upon us um, the names and the aspects of who you are, Jesus, that we most long for, but that often feel really hard to receive and believe. We ask that you help us enter into Advent. Honestly, with our doubts, with our questions, with all of the things that feel really, really hard about our world, about ourselves, about who you say you are, but that we would just engage with you. You invite us into lament, into longing, into waiting, and you are there with us in that. We thank you for the season of Advent, and we ask that you would invite us back to nearness with you through it. We pray in Jesus' name.